Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable Podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob the House Guy. Welcome to REI Roundtable. This is where we do live interviews with real investors that are active in the market today. And this is the exact type of format I wish I had more than 22 years ago when I got started. And I have two powerhouses here with me today. These guys do millions of dollars in business and have more than a decade a piece of experience. And we have Tim Bratz from Legacy Wealth Holdings, local man. How you doing, Tim? Doing great. Thanks for having me, there. And we have Lee Carney from Spin Companies, all the way from Tampa, Florida. Yes, sir. So today is going to be all about going from just surviving to thriving, because so many people that are watching this are just getting started. They're trying to wholesale their first house or buy their first building. And we want to talk about what took you guys from where you were to where you are. And let's start with Tim. Tell your story from the beginning of how you got started. Just, you know, high level overview. One, first of all, thank you for having me here. Excited to be on the show. Excited for all the value and or appreciate all the value that you've always given and uh, continue to provide. And we've known each other for a long time. So, uh, you know, a little bit of my story, but uh, I got started investing in single family houses, you know, 10 years ago, bought my first single family house on my credit card. That kind of uh, led into wholesaling real estate. I, I got a, a broker's license. I started flipping houses. I was in the turnkey space a little bit, started up a management company, and then started investing in apartment buildings. And uh, just for me and my goals and my ambitions and uh, what I was looking for in a business, apartment buildings really resonated with me. So I focused 100% of my efforts on, on apartment buildings and uh, just kind of burned the ships on everything else that I was doing. And I've only been focused on apartment buildings for the past few years. And so today my portfolio, I have uh, ownership in 3,200 units, wow. a little 3,207 as we sit here today. <laughs> um, portfolio value a little over $251 million. And um, just getting started, you know? And is this all still on that same credit card? Yeah, yeah, not, <laughs> not quite. We had a few few different credit cards now, but um, no, we, we, we raise money through traditional syndications, um, or actually not through traditional syndication, but through traditional um, uh, financing. And then we, we marry it up with private money, investors. We do a lot of value add apartment buildings that are distressed, either uh, physically distressed or managerially distressed, and we fix them all up. Uh, we refinance it, and then we roll into the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. Wow. So in one decade, you're still a very young guy. So in one decade, went from putting your first house on a credit card to 3,207 units. Yep, yep. Yeah, I have, uh, you know, I mean, we, we all go through this transitional period. And, and for me, I got started in real estate. And, I, and although I've been in real estate for 10, 11 years now, it's pretty bad for the first six or seven, right? And then all of a sudden I'm an overnight success right. and the compound effect finally set in. It's kind of like working out. When you go and exercise, you go and lift weights every single day for 30 days, nobody can see a difference in your physique. You can't even see a difference in your physique. And then, and then after 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, finally you get to see a little bit of a difference and you've been, you've been sweating, crying, aching, sore, like all, and, and, and hey, after four months, I've, I'm only just now seeing a little bit of a difference in my physique. And still nobody else sees that, that right? And so still the compound effect is working under the surface for you. Um, and it's not until six months later that somebody's like, Rob, you look pretty good, man. You, you losing a little bit of weight, you look sharp. Like, dude, I've been working my butt off for the past mm. six months trying to lose weight, trying to get more fit, trying to get more trim. And you're just now seeing this. 
It's a lot like that in, I think, real estate and in business in general is it takes a lot of work when nobody's giving you any sort of accolades, when nobody's giving you any sort of uh, um, props and, and, and boosting you up for a long time. But knowing that 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 snowball effect is working in your favor, then eventually it will work. And for for me, I always knew real estate would work because it's not an experiment. You know, it's not like a new tech startup. Real estate since the dawn of civilization has has been the measurement of, of wealth in society, right? Land ownership. And so for me, I knew it would work. I just knew it would take time. And I just kept on doubling down, doubling down, working a little bit harder. And um, eventually it finally caught up and I've had a lot of, lot of visible success over the past few years now. Wow, that's a great story. Lee, I'll, we're gonna go all the way back to the humble beginnings overseas. Yeah, yeah. so I bought my condo in Ireland, hated it, sold it, made more money in three months than I did in my job. So back in 2003, that was when the light bulb went off for me. So I knew real estate was gonna be the vehicle for me. I didn't know what I was gonna do with the real estate, but I knew that I have to start buying and selling houses because there's way more money in this than my current job. So I threw in the towel, uh, actually moved to California, chased a girl out there for some silly reason, but I met a coach who flipped houses. And so a guy at church showed me what he was doing. I was helping haul stuff from Home Depot, just whatever he needed me to do. But I learned where to buy, what to buy, at what, what money to put into it. He was big on doing landscaping. We were in Southern California. So like green yards, green yards, you gotta have sprinkler system. So I remember that every house I did was sprinkler system. So no yards around, it was just my greenhouse. It, would look, it, was, it was actually really good marketing. Then I moved back to Florida. I'd lived in Florida previously before that. I should have mentioned that. I went back to Ireland, thought I was gonna live there, hated it, moved to California, went back to Florida. So I started flipping houses again, found a mentor who showed me how to buy and sell foreclosure options, quickly became the biggest foreclosure buyer, was doing really good, started off with just credit cards and lines of credit they were just handing out back in 05. At 2007, I found myself with an upside down portfolio that wasn't cash flowing and no ability to make money. And so that's when I told my wife after we got off a six, six week honeymoon, I was like, we're broke. I'm not gonna pay anything more. I'm gonna figure out how to sort out this debt. We gotta do something different. But I learned two big lessons that have stuck with me today. There's always money in real estate. You just gotta be on the right side of the trade. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if the market's going up, it's, it's flat, it's going down. And a lot of people just try to employ the same strategy and ignore the market. And that's why they get wiped out. The thing that took me down was non-cash flowing, negative cash flowing rentals was number one and rehabbing houses into a downward market. That might sound really dumb and it is even today for me to tell you that 12 years later, but that was what took me down. So what do you think I do? I'm not rehabbing houses at the top of the market. Right now, we're diversified in 25 plus markets doing cosmetic rehabs. So essentially, we're taking the market risk out. We buy it today, in a couple of weeks, it's back in the market, and we're as close to day trading that asset as possible. In Florida, single family rentals are just ab like obnoxiously priced, so we're not buying them. I've sold all my rentals. That was the right side of the trade. I bought it for 30 and I'm selling for 150. That's a good side of the trade to be on. But buying the same asset at 150 makes no sense. So in a lot of ways, in my traditional strategies, I've taken my foot off the pedal because I'm positioning for the market shift. And I believe that what's different about this market than any other market, there's an institutional backstop in a lot of the asset classes. So I'm looking at all the asset classes that have an institutional backstop and I'm not getting involved. Explain, in explain what you mean by that. Well, there's, there's big, there, there's cheap financing. So either they've, they've lent the money on the asset or they own the asset. So I guess my point is if, if the subdivision X is crumbling and you've got a large majority ownership by hedge funds that don't have to service debt, 
they can ride out that storm. But if you've got a normal subdivision, which is where I like to buy C, C plus assets, and it's all homeowners that put down 3% of the market and buying my house for 150, 160, 170,000, they see the foreclosures coming up next door at $50,000. Then they say, well, why am I, they have nothing in the house anyway. Then their AC breaks. So now they've been to the house for three or $4,000, or maybe even the seller comped their closing costs. They're essentially glorified renters. And so that's why I like that asset class because although it's, it's not great economically, they walk away from the houses and we get to do the same thing again. I've got mentors in my life that are on their fourth cycle of buying the exact same kind of house. Their fourth cycle. This is, so when people say, well, how do you know it's gonna repeat itself? I'm like, well, we'd have to completely buck the norm. But I say that institutions have changed the game because they're so heavily concentrated in either the physical ownership, which is a big difference in the last cycle. So instead of being on the financing side, they're on the ownership side. Right. So, but they're also now doing the same thing they were doing 10 years ago so instead of packaging up mortgages, they're packaging up pool of houses and securitizing those to the nth degree. So where all that's gonna end up, I'm not quite sure. It'll probably change ownership and someone will get left holding the bag. The difference is they own physical assets that are cash flowing versus owning piece of paper that are worthless. That's a big difference from last cycle. So I'm trying to stay away from positioning a strategy around buying those assets because I don't believe they'll all hit at once and I don't believe there's gonna be a great buy but I do think that the traditional bread and butter rentals that I'm used to buying and have bought last cycle, my mentors have bought three cycles before me, are gonna come right back around. So a lot of what I'm doing in real estate today is, is having big money conversations, $100 million plus conversations, because I wanna prepare for tomorrow. In other industries like the, the cannabis industry, we're in the growth stage. So I, what I've realized for myself, you can't effectively grow multiple businesses. It's hard, you gotta focus on one thing. So I focus the growth stage in cannabis, I've got real estate essentially on set it and forget it. And then the real estate education space, I'm, I'm very, very big in that. I'm very passionate about that. So for me, not just the money, it's actually, that's for, for me personally, that's a passion project. I like teaching people. I like expanding my network. And it, that also goes into positioning yourself as the expert when the market does crash in my state, which is Florida. I believe that it's a cyclical state, just like California, just like Nevada. You've got certain, like Arizona is another one. You've got very predictable cycles and you can see, just looking at a Zillow chart, it doesn't even take some technical analysis. You can see the prices were here. You can see they're here. You can see they're back up here again. So something's got to give the affordability index. It means that we're knocking right on that door where the average person in a lot of primary markets can't afford an average home. That's a simple metric where it just doesn't work. So the, you run your debt to income that an average family can't buy it. And I don't know, Tim's big on this. They're building workforce housing. Why? That's where the need is. People need affordable housing. So the, something's gonna break in a lot of these markets where the average family can't afford an average home. And I'm preparing for that. So specifically, that's my strategy in real estate. However, it's very easy money. It's, it's, it's light work, just, just doing the same houses with the same paint, the same carpet, just pushing them out the door and we make lots of money doing that. So I've multiple strategies I'm engaged. Right, and you're talking on a very large scale. I mean, a lot of our audience are just getting started. A lot of newer guys maybe have done 10, 20 houses or whatnot. Let's bring it back down a little bit and talk, because you both came from normal jobs. What did you do prior to real estate? I did industrial sales. Industrial sales, and Tim, what were you doing? I was in college. In college. Never, never had a real job. Perfect. Unemployable. So, yeah. so that's, that's why I never quit. I don't know what else I do, right? Like, I don't, I, yeah, I don't I, have anything I, else to go to. I always say, it's like, outside of real estate, I go, don't ask me to do much of anything. <laughs> so, it, you know, you, you can make a lot of money in real estate. Even doing your first deal, you make, you know, $35,000. 
what took you to that next, what was the drive to take you to that next level saying, okay, so I just made an annual salary in a week. What took you to saying, well, I need to make more and more and more? Was it greed? Was it passion? Did you want cooler things in life? Were you, you know, feeding the starving children overseas? What were you doing? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I got involved in real estate watching the last market cycle, right? So 03 to 07, I'm going through college. I'm seeing anybody with a pulse making money in real estate. As a 20, 21 year old kid, I'm money motivated, right? So I ended up getting into uh, real estate. I moved out to New York City, um, got a real estate license, and I was brokering commercial leases. And I remember brokering a lease about 400 square feet, probably the size of the studio. And um, we signed a lease in Manhattan for $10,000 a month on a 400 square foot space with a 4% annual escalation over a 12 year term. And when you do the 12 math, years? Yeah. And when you do the math on that, you realize this guy, the landlord, is gonna make almost $2 million over the next 12 years for doing something at one point in time. So I got, I, I went down this path of learning about um, residual income and passive income. And man, the, the bug bit me hard and I just like read every book on it. I attended every seminar I, and I got, I wanted to get into real estate. Why I think a lot of people get into real estate, which is for that residual income and passive income. But then I think a lot of us get stuck in this transactional phase of thinking, I need to go stockpile a bunch of my own cash before I can go and buy those passive income producing assets, right? So for me, I went down the same road. I went, got into wholesaling, I flipped my first house, bought it on my credit card, and uh, did all the work physically to it. In, in about two and a half months, I flipped it and I made $14,000. So I'm like, cool, I'm a punk kid, it's 2009. I don't know what I'm doing, it's the worst housing recession in the history of the world, or of the United States at least, and I'm making money doing this. So kind of like what Lee said, you gotta be on the right side of the coin, right? And so when I did it again, did it again, got into wholesaling and all that kind it's of easy stuff. money. Right, and so so for me, I think when you first, going back to your original question, Rob, is like when you first get started, I think a lot of times it is about money, right? Or a lot of times it is about lifestyle. And I don't think it's, I, uh, uh, I, I don't think you should ever feel ashamed by wanting to make more money or wanting to provide a better lifestyle for your family or wanting more in any way because I think the more money you make, the more money you can give, right? The more impact you can make on uh, your community, on your uh, church or on your uh, nonprofit organization that you wanna support or creating uh, a scholarship for kids. Like you can't do any of those things being broke, right? So I, I don't have an issue with, with people who want to go and create a lot of wealth. Um, I think it's very noble to go and do that because you can do more noble things mm -hmm. with, with money. And so, for me, but but once your your own personal stuff is taken care of, um, you know probably once you make a hundred thousand dollars, especially living in Cleveland, Ohio, right. you can have pretty much any lifestyle and live in any community you want. If you make a hundred thousand dollars a year in Cleveland, Ohio, so for me, once I surpassed that, it was more about impact. I think, um, and not only you know a lot of people say you know I want to build this for my kids. My kids are my why, and my kids are are a why. But it's really even greater than that, making an impact on everybody, right? And just letting people know that you don't have to go to a dead end job every single day, and 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 you know, in, in hopes to work there for forty years to retire on less money than you couldn't already live off of for the first forty years, right? And then and then just yeah. like go through life like that. That's not the answer. It doesn't have to be your answer. It doesn't have to be your your fate. And so, just letting people know that there's more out there than that, and that you can. You know, it's it's a pretty simple model to developing wealth. And one, you got to make money. Two, you got to keep your money. Three, you got to get your money working for you. The biggest difference between 
uh, uh, the wealthy and the poor is that the wealthy buy assets, things that put money in your pocket, and the poor buy liabilities, things that take money out of your pocket. Right. And it's, it's, it can be boiled down as simple as that. And I just got really good at buying assets and I get a lot more, um, uh, you know, just, just uh, good feelings and a lot more, uh, um, I don't know, I guess I could just feel better by buying assets versus buying liabilities. I'd rather see my bank account grow, my net worth grow than, not, not saying there's anything wrong with buying a nice car. I see a lot of people, Lee's got a phenomenal car, right? So Lee's got a nice car. But you know what Lee says when, when he looks at his vehicle, when he gets into this, he's like, man, this is a nice car. Think about all the times, all the adversities I had to get past in order to afford this car. I think it's a pretty awesome way to look at it, right? Versus saying, hey, I just want to go and show this thing off. No, like like he feels a sense of of accomplishment right. and, and it's an actual token to, you know, all the sacrifices that he's made by building his business. And so I'll never like, you know, say that somebody with a nice car, a nice vehicle, a nice home or what, anything like that um, isn't doing the right thing. I think you just, depending on how you frame it, is uh, is powerful. Everyone so, rewards himself differently. Yeah. Just because I'm a car guy now, I have to know, what is this car you drive? Uh, it's an AMG uh, GT63S Edition 1. Oh, yeah. That's a hot car. Yeah. Very nice. Good Florida car. Probably yeah. wouldn't be the top choice for Cleveland. Yeah, 900 <laughs> horses with a three-year-old in the back, so it's lots of fun. <laughs> Oh my goodness, 900 horses. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. Hey, this is Andy from RealFlow. And a couple of the most common things we hear from our listeners are, I want to become a real estate investor, but I don't know where to start. Or, I have a real estate investing business, but I'm having trouble scaling. We took these to heart and decided to create the Real Estate Investing Lifecycle, a downloadable PDF which lays out the six foundational steps required to run a successful real estate investing business. You can download your copy today at reilifecycle.com slash start. Happy investing. So you came from this, from Ireland, yep. near the immigration store. How old were you when you left? 17. 17 years old. And you can't, and not like Ireland's a horrible place to be. It's still a, very well developed. Well, place. we got hit really hard with the recession. Irish people, I remember my friends who had gone to high school with that had three and four houses and two and three cars were back to renting and no houses and getting the bus. I mean, it, it was really a big drop off. You know, the Irish economy in a lot of ways drinks directly from the American faucet. So when a lot of American companies are, are headquartered in Ireland, the reason being Irish companies or Irish government gives really good tax breaks. So when the American economy got hit hard, it really hit hard in Ireland because we were drink, like I said, we were directly connected to the U.S. economy. Wow. So then you got here after you flipped your first condo, you went to the most expensive real estate market in America to get your start. Yeah. Well, it, it was just where I lived before. And I remember asking questions, go, where do you buy foreclosure? The courthouse steps. What's the courthouse steps? Was well, room, whatever it was, 501 and this building. They're auctioning off numbers. I'm like, why are they selling numbers? Well, they're case numbers. What's a case number? I mean, these are all the questions I asked. And I say to everybody out there, there's no dumb questions when you don't know. I'm really empathetic with people that ask those questions because that's how you get those better answers. And this is one of Tim's go-to phrases. And I didn't even realize I was asking these questions. I just didn't know. So I just asked a lot of questions because I'm not shy. I mean, my father always taught me if you if you don't ask, I mean, the worst they can say is no. So that to me was not a bad downside for asking any question. So mm -hmm. I asked a lot of questions. Just like Tim, I've been through the search where I started off with just money. Now I'm like, okay, I can make a ton of money from real estate. 
But if I don't feel super bullish about real estate, investing that money back in it today, I can control assets through lending or I can invest the money in other industries, which is what I've chose to do. But it, it just shows you multiple paths of real estate. There is no right or wrong answer. And I hate when people get into a debate, well, should I buy apartments or houses? I'm like, both. I mean, really right. it's, you've got to figure out that where you want to go. That's what ties all this together. Tim's figured out where he wants to go. I figured out where I want to go. And I back into a plan that will get to me to where I want to go. A lot of people get in real estate and just want to make money. They don't have an actual goal. So they just want to buy more doors or make money or flip 10. I mean, but they don't actually put in a five-year goal or a 10-year goal or their exit. And it needs no. to be quantifiable, right? Right. Oh, just making money, that's not a that's not a goal, that's right? A dream. That's, that's a dream. So, okay, how much money do you need to make? And let's figure out exactly what Lee's saying is, what is the destination? It's like any roadmap, right? Right. If you remember back in the day when we had MapQuest, we go oh, and yeah. print out the directions, <laughs> you had to put in where your starting point was, what your destination was, and then it could create the map to get there. Same exact thing in life and in business. You got to figure out what your destination is, and then take a look at, be honest about here's where I am right now, and then now let's reverse engineer the path in order to get there. And so you got to figure out what your metric is. You have to have an actual quantifiable thing of, hey, I need $10,000 a month in income. Okay, so if I back out the numbers and a unit will create $100 a month of cash flow after all expenses and debt service, then that means I need 100 units at $100 a month in order to generate $10,000 a month in passive income. Great, now your goal is get 100 units. So how do you do that? Maybe I can go buy a 10 unit building every quarter, every year, every month, you know, and then we can we can dial in the timeline to get you there too. So it's it's um, a lot of reverse engineering. And I think a lot of people just, they have a dream and they don't actually have a quantifiable goal. If you don't have a quantifiable goal, you can't reverse engineer that path. Yeah, I was going over Atomic Habits actually on the plane on the way here. And one of the things they mentioned is he, he, he had trouble even instituting 10 pushups as a habit in the book. And when you actually reverse, he said, well, it, You've got to have a time and a place. And so even this goal of going to say, I want 100 units, then what activity granularly do you need to do every day? Mm -hmm. How many offers? Is it 10 offers a day or five offers a day? That's the kind of level of detail you need to get down to. Because mm -hmm. you can even set that quantifiable goal and wonder why you didn't get there. It's because the, the micro activities you're doing on a daily basis are never going to get you there. If you make one offer on one apartment building a month, you want to buy 100 units. I would argue without any, knowing anything else about your business, you probably don't have the right action plan that's going to get you towards your goal. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that's a great point is like a lot of people set goals for the, the result. You can't control the results. What you can control is the activities. And so to say I want to buy uh, 100 units this year, great. What's the activity that leads to that result? And the activity is typically in real estate, it's making offers, yeah, right? So offers. it's it's, it's Putting out letters of intent or making offers. I'm going to steal that for the rest of my life as my own. If you ever hear it back, it, just, it came from Rob the House guy. That is a great write down point right there. Your goals are not going to be for your outcome, but for your activities. And the activities will naturally drive the outcome. Exactly. That is a beautiful statement because that I always ask people, people tell me how many houses they want to buy. And I'm like, well, how many did you offer on last week? And the answer is always the same as none. I didn't make any yeah. offers. Like, now in my business, I've been in so long, I do get some knocks on my door saying, hey, you want to buy these houses? Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, nobody just knocks on your door and says, hey, man, do you want to buy some apartment buildings? Right. Now they probably do. Yep. But it took a long time to get there, yeah. a lot of work. So that's great. So the goals need to be on the activities Activity. and not on the outcome. Great takeaway. 
You have a lot to live up to. Let's hear it, Lee. Give us a good takeaway. Some good great take, advice. Good takeaway. I, man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> I like on the spot. But, but I really go back to that piece of advice that my mentor gave me many years ago. It's There's always money in real estate. You got to be on the right side of the trade. That has stuck with me. So that's number one. My other piece of advice is that leverage is the key to wealth. And that's the wealthiest mentor in my life. And he drove that point home. Leverage is the key to wealth. This guy personally has a $200 million line with a major bank. That's a, that's just his personal line. He manages multi-billion dollar assets for a very large hedge fund. And so I listen to a guy like that. If he's telling yeah. me that, and so people that talk about buying everything in cash, they just don't understand the way to get wealthy. There's so much, because the wealthy look at levered returns, the poor look at cash on cash returns. And I would just say that there's a big, big difference. When you bring in leverage and you look at what Tim's done at that scale with several hundred million in assets, oh, yeah. and you look at leverage returns on cash, I would argue that his are like infinite based on the amount of cash he actually has in the deal. So it's just, there's a different way of looking at the world. So leverage is the key to wealth, but it's gotta be responsible leverage, not what mm -hmm. I did, buying negative cash flowing assets. Yeah. And I, I just encourage everybody, look at the market. Let the market tell you what the opportunity is. Don't, don't sandwich yourself into one strategy that's not going to work. So for instance, if, I'm not saying this is gonna happen, like let's just say the apartment building that Tim, the direction changes on that market. For some reason, um, work for, workforce housing is no longer where the opportunity is at. And it's actually de we've declining rents. I mean, I'm, I'm picking something stupid right. just to make my point. Tips are, I'm only buying workforce housing. That would be crazy. Cause you look around, he's buying the wrong asset class. It's the same thing. I was in a market where I should have stopped buying and adding value and I should have just started wholesaling and I should have really looked at the market. I didn't look at the market. Don't be me. Look at the market, look at the opportunity, then create your strategy. And as I said before, the good news is the market doesn't change in days. You don't have Black Monday in the real estate market or Black Friday. I mean, typically it moves in quarters and years and moves in trends, which means we're in a beautiful industry where we, can, we have enough time to pivot our business and say, you know what? I can see the market shifting that direction. Foreclosures are rising. Now I see an opportunity in this asset class and you can pivot your business. It's almost like a cruise ship. Cruise ship doesn't just spin around. You typically start moving it and it'll start to move degrees in the direction where, right. where it needs to go. Same thing with your business. So I love real estate. Pay attention to the market. Look for the opportunity. Tailor your strategy around that and leverage is the key to wealth. Awesome. We have a mutual friend that always talked to me about, we always joke around saying, how do you want to make your money today? I mean, you know, apartment buildings or houses or selling widgets, whatever it is. But at what point, especially this is more of a you question, Tim, did you decide to get out of your lane? Because when you have something that's working and working well, I know you had the CLE turnkey for a while and you were doing a lot of houses and clearly making money more than your average American. How did you make that choice to say, I'm going to cut it off and I'm going on this lane now? So uh, great question. And it's something that I reflect on and actually reflecting on my business, reflecting on what's going on in my business, what's going on in my life and, and really knowing what my long term goals are um, is something that I've always had when I sit back and I look at everything that's going on, which I, which I do at least used to be on, a, on an annual basis, right? When I do my annual goals, then it became like a quarterly basis. Now I do it on a monthly basis and even almost on a weekly basis. Um, but every time I sit back and I make a pivot in my business and I really ask myself the difficult questions, um, I see this quantum leap in my business. So two years ago this month, actually I rented a lake house, upstate New York, had my family come out and it just unplugged for like two weeks. Um, and so two years ago I was doing the, 
I was doing a lot of turnkey flips. We are doing about 80 to 100 houses a year. I had a management company, one of the largest residential management companies in greater Cleveland. And, um, uh, and I was also passively investing in some apartment buildings or raising money, sponsoring deals. I had some local apartment buildings and stuff too. And I remember sitting back during that two-week period and looking at what was going on in my life and my business and where was, was I heading towards my goals, right? And flipping houses was cool because it kept food on the table, kept the lights on and produced a good income, but it didn't yield the long-term passive and residual results that I was looking for. And so I remember looking at that and seeing 90% of my wealth was coming from apartment buildings and it was only 10% of my time. And I thought, what if we pivoted the team and instead of flipping houses, we started buying apartment buildings and holding them. And so it was a big mindset shift uh, but really only a small pivot in my business. So my acquisitions guy started uh, looking at apartments instead of houses. My rent, my project manager started renovating apartments instead of houses. And my dispositions guy started uh, managing management company instead of selling houses. And um, man, I went from a, a few hundred units two years ago to 3,200 units today just by giving it that intense focus that I wasn't giving it before. So when somebody tells me that they're a, a serial entrepreneur and they got all these businesses going, you know what I know? Is that they're not making any money because they're spread way too thin yeah. and I run away from those individuals because they're not focused. So you gotta focus, figure out what you're really good at, figure out what meets your long-term goals, what the best uh, vehicle to get you there is gonna be. And for me, it just happened to be apartments, right? You can make money in a lot of different uh, avenues and a lot of different vehicles. But for me, what met with my long-term goals and my risk tolerance and uh, my skill set, my unique ability was apartments. All right, let's go down to some 10 second or less answers, some spitfires <laughs> here. This, I want, there's so much knowledge we want to get, yes. or this is going to turn into like the men who built America. It's going to turn into like a 12 hour series, which is by the way, it's probably the most influential things I've ever watched. Yep. If you've ever seen that. Mm -hmm. My answer is yes. Yes. Before you even ask the question. Yes. Well, I guess we're getting married. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it's right. well played, though. <laughs> okay. Tell me, we talked about all the great things that people do in real estate. Tell me the most screwed up thing you see of why people aren't making it. They're, they're spread too thin. They're not focused. They're, they're trying to start off and build several strategies at the same time instead of focusing on one, perfecting it, and then moving on to the next strategy. So all problems with that. All right. That is the number one problem I see. 3,207 units you have. Clearly you're not doing this all by yourself. Quickest way to build a team? Um, surround yourself with eight players. You know, it's, it's hard to joint venture on single family houses when there's only 15, 20, $30,000 of profit and to have a bunch of eight players involved and all these hands in the cookie jar, there's not enough money to get an A player excited. So by getting into commercial, I was able to attract some very high quality, high caliber joint venture partners. And I can go and buy apartment buildings anywhere in the country and know that I can go to Spain for three weeks like I did a couple months ago with my family and know that everything's taken care of because there's all these other A players. Because you're talking about millions of dollars of equity versus tens of thousands, right? And so I do a lot of joint ventures with active operators and passive lenders. Okay. A players playing on that. I know you deal with a lot of A players as well. Aligning yourself with these A players when you're just getting started and you don't have the background of 10 years of experience like Tim did, how would you tell them to do that? Well, first of all, surrounding yourself, getting taught by A players is one way to do it. If you have nothing to bring to the table, just getting educated by an A player to me is a no brainer. I think about 
spending thousands to learn stuff that can make you millions of dollars or stop you from losing millions of dollars, it's just a no brainer. But I'm also in the space, but I've realized that my path to where I'm at today would have been a lot quicker if I had got some formal education in the real estate space specifically. I try to do it by myself. The good news is when I'm teaching people, I can teach from personal experience, but there's a much better way. It's learn from someone who's already done it and don't make all the mistakes first. I think one common denominator that not just all of us share, but everyone's been on the show, is that we spend our time learning things that are going to propel us in life versus like, I've tried to play video games with, your child is only three, your kid's pretty young too. They're gonna get to the age where they start playing the video games. And when you try playing these video games with them, oh my gosh, if the time it would take me to learn which button does what, I could learn quantum physics. I'm like, I just give up on it. So that's gonna take me into time management. Talk about some time management. Give us like a 10 second time management tip that helps you a lot and can help them. A time block. So just like I'm time blocking time to be here and, and hang out with you, I'm not taking any phone calls. I'm not answering emails. Like I'm dedicated and committed to being here with you. I time block time for my business. I time block time for my family. So I do not work on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday or after five o'clock on on. Monday through Thursday. At time block, is if somebody says, hey, will you come out to a RIA event? Will you come out to a networking event? No, my, my time is time block. I have, a, I have a date or I have an, uh, an appointment with my kids, with my wife. And that has created way more efficiency when I am in the office because now I'm not wasting my time doing stuff that's not revenue generating or not growing the business in, in any way. Can you think of a time in your life that you weren't so crystal clear yes. on where you are now. And let's talk about one of your, your messes before you had the successes so people can relate. Sure, well, actually, I, I skipped a step in 2007 where I lost everything, was starting over. I started to do a makeshift mortgage business, spent all of this time, didn't produce any revenue alongside wholesaling houses. I spent about six months of time on something that the government changed the rule. So all the people we got qualified, they couldn't actually get the mortgage that we were selling them. And it just turned out to just be a big bag of air. So I literally wasted six months on something that produces zero revenue. So that was, that was, that was a tough pill to swallow. Wow. All right. So as I ask everybody that's on the show, we're going to talk about freedom. Tim, what freedoms has real estate given you? Yeah, I, I think, you know, by buying residual income producing assets and then building a passive business that then operates that there's a few layers that then allows me to kind of step outside of the operation now in growth mode when we're buying properties i need to be involved because i'm the one raising the money i'm the one sponsoring the loans i'm doing a lot of that if i decide to stop buying today i could walk away and never have to do anything again have a six figure monthly you know cash flow residual check Eight, eight, multiple eight figures of, of net worth that will grow over time as we continue to pay down principal and properties appreciate but what, what allows me that is just focusing on the long-term vision and not getting caught up in, in what's going on like today, like what's the, the day-to-day stuff. And when I, when I focus on the long-term goals and the long-term vision, and I'm willing to make the short-term sacrifices for that, it, it gives you the lifestyle that eventually you want, like, right? I can go and do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want to do it with um, at the drop of a, a, you know, of a coin. So I can do... Uh, uh, it allows me to go and travel, it allows me to go spend time with my kids. My, my kids are four and two years old. And um, I remember reading a statistic that like 90% of your time with your children is spent between the time that they're born to the time that they graduate from high school, 18. 
So only, even though you might live to, to be hanging out with them until they're 60 and 70 years old and you're in their 90s or 100, like 90% of your time is still spent in those first initial 18 years. So when I read that statistic, it was like always, it hit me really hard. Like I need to spend time with my kids now versus later, right? Great answer. The freedoms that it's all given you. A lot of what Tim said, I think it's just, it's a great vehicle that allows you to just make a, a lot of money and really, you can buy whatever you want, you can do whatever you want. And if you set it up correctly, which is where I go back to, I've said this before, you can have an active business where it's set up passively, where you've got other people running it. And that's the end goal for all of us. We wanna make sure that you're not just trading time for money. And as you get better at real estate, that goal should include your time. It shouldn't just be a money goal. For me, my goal is to be out of operations in five years. That is a personal goal. What do I mean by that? I wanna run businesses where I sit on the board. That's what I want five years from now. I want to have multiple industries, multiple streams of income. And that to me is super important. But like Tim said, when you're in the growth stage, don't mistake that for, there is a phase if you want to really grow a business fast where you do need to be involved, but you can do it in a business that sets you up for tomorrow. And ultimately how you can get set up for tomorrow, whether it's buying apartment buildings, buying houses, buying rental houses, the cannabis space we're in. It's about surrounding yourself with the right players who can run the day-to-day -day operation and run it really, really well. And you're not gonna get that for cheap. A lot of people make a big mistake where they try to save money on their labor, so they bring in the cheapest guy possible rather than the best guy. And if you focus on hiring the best people to run your businesses, that's, that's what's gonna allow you to step away from your business mm -hmm. rather than trying to yeah. save money. I mean, at the end of the day, if I've got a truly successful business, it makes no difference if I'm paying 100,000 or $200,000. I want the right person at the helm running that business, highly incentivized on the bottom line to make his stuff happen. And that way I can, I can actually walk away from that business. But you can't walk away from businesses if you've got all these businesses ran by numbnuts that don't know what they're doing because now you're <laughs> back involved in the business. Wow, you guys, it's been a wealth of knowledge having you on here. And I hope everyone appreciates the caliber of folks we have here today. And the one takeaway you should all have is these guys have so much going on more stuff going on than probably 20 people combined, but yet they both said they spent five o'clock on with their kids and they took the time to be here today and they can travel and they go to Spain for three weeks. So even though they have a lot going on, it's not like their time isn't managed correctly. So guys, awesome having you here. You've all been watching the Real Estate Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Rob, the house guy. And remember, nothing works unless you do. This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate. All the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe.